Welcome to The Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. In so many ways, historically speaking, the hormonal and emotional fluctuations seen during menopause reflect other issues that are psychiatric-like, but they are not necessarily a traditional psychiatric problem, nor are they from a traditional psychiatric etiology. Yet there are so many overlaps, and regardless of some of these fine points, women and often the people around them suffer from the menopause. Vivian Burt, a psychiatrist, is the founder and director of the Women's Life Center at the Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, and she is also a professor emeritus of psychiatry at the Geffen School of Medicine as well. Dr. Burt, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Let's begin with a general question, and we'll get more specific. Is there a sense, is there a history that shows that if someone has a psychiatric illness or a problem, perhaps a depression, before menopause, that she is predisposed to greater risk for mood disorders in menopause? Yes. One of the risk factors for experiencing unstable mood and often an anxious depression is a history, a prior history of mood problems going back probably as far back as puberty, and particularly mood instability as it relates to other reproductive life transitions. So if a woman, and especially now that we have so many that are going through puberty at 8 or 9 or 10 years of age, is there any data about that? There's no data about that particular issue, although that's an interesting question, because clearly what we do know is that beginning at puberty, girls and eventually young women are at increased risk. There's a sharp difference between females and males in terms of first onset depression, so that beginning at puberty, women are at significantly increased risk for a first episode of depression. And the more years ahead of them, the more likely it is that they have time, if you will, and stressors that will precipitate future episodes. The more episodes they have of depression, the more likely it is that they will also suffer depression at menopause. One of the things that I remember learning when I was in training is that there may actually be an antidepressant quality to estrogen. And so if menopause, and perhaps we're being a little bit too simplistic, but if menopause is characterized by a loss of estrogen, it seems that they are exposed to the possibility of being depressed purely because of the loss of estrogen. Is this another type of depression per se? Theoretically, you are correct. We have no absolute data proving that one of the mechanisms of action, if you will, for depression at reproductive life transitions is a decrease in estrogen. But it is true that estrogen has associations with other chemicals in the body that make it somehow linked to mood in women. For example, we know that estrogen, in a sense, is a monoamine oxidase inhibitor. It actually inhibits the enzyme monoamine oxidase. So it actually is a precipitant for an increased level of serotonin. Estrogen also increases the density of active transport sites across the blood-brain barrier for serotonin. Estrogen does a whole lot of other things that ultimately, in effect, increase serotonin levels. And we know that serotonin is associated with mood. This is really interesting because it almost sounds as if estrogen could be, in some people, an antidepressant in and of itself. I know we don't use it because it really doesn't work that vigorously, but the theory is there. Yeah, 
theoretically, in a sense, we could almost say that estrogen is an endogenous secondary antidepressant. Uh, not something I've ever read anywhere, but I, in, in a creative way, you can think of it that way. Interesting. Now, as a woman goes through menopause and her moods begin to fluctuate, will these as much as one can predict, will these depressions or mood disorders disappear when the menopause ends? The data suggests very interesting because, as you said, a lot of this is very simplistic, and I would never, never suggest that it's only a story of estrogen. Estrogen is one small factor that goes into the mix that explains why some people have repetitive chronic depression and other people do not. What we do know is that with every episode of depression, there's an increased risk for further episodes. So if you were, for example, to take a 65-year-old woman and compare her to a 65-year-old man, if she has never, ever had an episode of depression in her lifetime, she is actually at decreased risk compared to her age-matched male counterpart for depression as she ages. On the other hand, if she has had repetitive episodes of depression, she continues to be at increased risk for depression as she moves forward in her older life. Now, for the woman who passes through menopause and has a single episode of depression around menopause, or maybe even not full major depression, but some mood instability. It's hard to know because we don't have the data, but I would suggest that the likelihood of her moving through the rest of her life depression-free continues to be very great, that she is likely to do well as she ages if she's had just some mood roughening around menopause, because there are lots of reasons for mood roughening that have to do with physical symptoms associated with menopause. Which brings up a question a very practical question, actually two questions. One question that is always brought up is what causes the hot flashes and the sweat? Well, we don't know exactly. What we do know is that it is very, very closely linked to the reduction in estrogen, the episodic reduction in estrogen that occurs over the course of perimenopause as women move towards being postmenopausal, no longer having periods at all, no longer ovulating at all. So, for example, a replacement of depleted estrogen with estrogen actually, if you will, cures hot flashes. Now, there are major problems that have come to light in terms of adverse effects of hormone therapy that need to be discussed. So I certainly would not suggest that this is the answer, that estrogen replacement is the answer because we would have to talk about all the other risks associated with that. But it is true that estrogen depletion is closely related to hot flashes. Which brings up a very good point that we just need to make that if you think, if the if a listener thinks that she needs estrogen, that is the product of a discussion between she and her doctor. Absolutely, absolutely. Because with the results of the Women's Health Initiative, we clearly know that estrogen replacement or hormonal replacement, usually estrogen and progesterone uh, in women who have a uterus, that in fact, overall women on this combined hormonal therapy at are increased risks, risk for heart disease, stroke, thromboembolism, invasive breast cancer, and even possibly dementia. So these are very serious things. 
which means that we have to think of other ways. Which brings us to the next question, of course, then, is what do we do to help a woman as she's going through menopause? She comes to your office and she says, doctor, my husband can't stand it anymore. I can't stand it anymore. My moods go up and down. The air conditioner goes on and off. What can I do to help? How do you approach this? Well, that's a good question. At the moment, what we really, we really have no clear, clear data about treatment and specific treatments as they are efficacious for menopause-related depression. However, the first thing I think we need to remember is that the mood instability associated with menopause may in part have to do with the somatic issues, that is hot flashes and result in sleep disturbance. And if you go without, any one of us who's a physician knows, if you go without enough nights uh, of no sleep, then you will be irritable, you will be uh, even depressed. So that's one aspect. But then it is true that going through any life transition involves issues of facing aging, perhaps new onset illness, perhaps interpersonal difficulties, and I think that has to be assessed as well. And if, in fact, aging, illness, interpersonal difficulties, perhaps marital difficulties, sexual difficulties are the major problem, then certainly psychotherapy to address and hopefully resolve some of these issues will be helpful. Additionally, psychoeducation, educating husband or spouse and wife about the fact that this is a time-limited thing, that ultimately as one approaches and then reaches menopause, hot flashes will stop. And in most women, depression will recede. That's important. There are groups for women who are menopausal that can be very, very helpful. But for major depression associated with the perimenopause, with the years leading up to menopause, which is the real time when these difficulties arise and are particularly problematic, for now, antidepressants are currently the treatment of choice for perimenopausal women with major depression. We don't have any data for which one is best. So what we do is we choose a medication that treats the depression and any other associated symptoms, anxiety, somatic pains and complaints. It is possible that the dual action agents may be more useful for middle-aged and older anxious depressed women. We have some sparse data suggesting that, but we really need to flesh out that data. And so that's where we are now, psychotherapy to address psychosocial issues, aging, transitional issues, perhaps couples therapy, psychoeducation, and then additionally, uh, antidepressants. The place of estrogen, it's interesting because there is some data suggesting that estrogen actually does impact in a positive way depression. That needs to be something that's reviewed with a patient's physician because of the Women's Health Initiative results. Up until even just a few months ago, I would have suggested really working through short-term use of estrogen replacement, hormone replacement, after a discussion with a physician. But most recently, within the last month, an article was published in JAMA that suggests that even short-term use may be problematic. And so, again, this is something that really needs to be discussed with one's physician. 
Absolutely. And what you said a few moments ago, I think, also touches a section that we often do not spend enough time. And a young lady, to me, she's young, I guess that's a fact of life. She's in her (laughs) mid-40s. And she said to me, I think I'm going into perimenopause. Oh, my God, my biological clock doesn't care about my career. I... I'm getting scared that I'll never be what I thought I was going to be. And she has not yet had children, which is obviously now too late. So the symbolism of menopause alone carries its own weight and its own impact. I I think we don't talk about that enough. Yeah, isn't it ironic? You know, the population of women who are postmenopausal is growing and growing and growing. And in fact, the age of menopause hasn't really changed very much over generations. It is true women, uh, girls reach puberty earlier, but the age of menopause hasn't changed. So what we're dealing with as we thankfully are successful in keeping people alive and in good shape for relatively longer and longer periods of time is an increasing number of years in which we have women who are postmenopausal. And in fact, yes, you're right, they're no longer able to have children. But in other ways, they are incredibly creative. They may be in mid-career because they postponed their careers to have children. And they have many, many, many productive years ahead, not child productive years, but productive years in other ways. And if you're just, if you're reading the newspapers lately, they're even talking about increasing retirement age in this country to 68. And so this is something that I think is a ripe issue for working with women who are facing perimenopause in this culture where youth is valued so greatly, but working in a psychotherapeutic sense to address the fact that we have our most creative years ahead of us, but not in terms of child production. Absolutely. Now, with that, I have to ask you another question. We also have an obesity crisis in this country. Yes. Is there any evidence, do we have any sense that body weight changes the chance of greater or lesser menopausal issues? Is there any association? Do we have well, any? that's an interesting question. First of all, let me say that the women, and this is counterintuitive perhaps, the women who are perimenopausal and have one risk factor for having hot flashes is being extremely thin. Hmm. Why? We don't know for sure, but it may be because estrogen is also stored, there are estrogen receptors in adipose cells. So, for example, the anorexic woman, the woman who values being extraordinarily thin is more likely to have hot flashes than someone who's heavier. Now, I am not espousing being heavier because there are difficulties with having a high BMI, but it has been postulated, it's very interesting, that, you know, as women age, they do put on three, four, five pounds. That is, And it is not an effect of hormone therapy. It's thought just to be an age-related issue. And putting on that small number of pounds in a woman who was normal weight before, which means that she will continue to be normal weight but slightly heavier, there may be an evolutionary advantage to that. How? Well, think of it as a little bit more weight-bearing to counteract the osteoporotic changes of aging. So a little bit of added weight is something that may not be a bad thing in a woman who is of normal weight. On the other hand, we do know high BMI, in other words, women or people, women and men who are obese, have a high BMI are at increased risk for depression. So it's a very, very, and there's, I I don't know if actually I should say they're at increased risk for depression. There is an association between high BMI and depression. 
clearly, if, if nothing else, it's something that we are observing and learning from and watching as our population ages and all the things that come from that. Vivian Bird is a psychiatrist and the founder and director of the Women's Life Center at the Geffen Medical School at UCLA. She is also a professor emeritus of psychiatry at the Geffen School of Medicine as well. Dr. Burt, thank you so much. This has been very interesting. Thank you, Dr. Strauss. Thank you for having me.